This podcast is brought to you by Recontract, the leading software to automate your reconditioning process. From vehicles to people to parts, Recontract streamlines every touchpoint in your recon process. Visit recontract.com an to learn more. That's R-E-C-O-N-T-R-A-C dot com slash A-N. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show... EV registration numbers are backing Hyundai's fears about the Inflation Reduction Act. The Biden administration opens applications for $2.5 billion to expand EV charging across the U.S., and GM extends the production halt at its largest truck plant in Mexico. Plus, we're hearing more lately about white hat hackers and bug bounty programs in the automotive space. We'll hear from one cybersecurity technologist about why more and more major automakers are working with these so-called ethical hackers to uncover vulnerabilities. For automakers to be sure that their supply chain vendors have vulnerability disclosure programs and proper security practices, that's only going to become more important over time. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Revised electric vehicle incentives are pushing buyers to models made in North America. The credits are boosting EVs from Tesla, Chevy, and Volkswagen to the detriment of Korean imports from Hyundai and Kia. That's according to new vehicle registration data from Experian. The top eight EVs in January were all made in North America. They include three models from Tesla, two from Ford, and the newly surging VW ID4 crossover that began production in Chattanooga last year. Hyundai's imported Ionic 5 crossover fell to ninth place from seventh place for full year 2022. Kia's Korean-made EV6 was no longer among the top 10 EVs in January after coming in eighth for 2022. We'll dive much more into the new registration data and its impact on different brands on tomorrow's show, and you can read more about it at autonews.com. The Biden administration has opened applications for a $2.5 billion electric vehicle charging program. It's meant to expand access to EV chargers and alternative fueling infrastructure in urban and rural communities across the U.S., The discretionary grant program was created by the bipartisan infrastructure law signed in 2021. It provides the multi-billion dollar funding over five years to eligible applicants, including states, cities, local agencies, and tribes. The first round of funding makes up to $700 million available from fiscal years 2022 to 2023 to strategically deploy chargers and fueling stations along designated highways interstates, and major roadways. It will also fund stations in downtown areas and neighborhoods, particularly in underserved and disadvantaged communities. We talked yesterday about union workers at General Motors' largest truck plant in Mexico getting a nice raise. Today, it looks like those workers will also have some downtime at the plant. GM said its Salau assembly plant that makes Chevy and GMC pickup trucks will extend a production halt through March 20th because of temporary supply chain issues. GM declined to say what the issue was, but said previously it was not related to semiconductor chips. The largest U.S. automaker previously announced that it was halting production from March 4th through 12th at its central Mexico plant. GM said it's working with suppliers to resolve the supply chain issue and plans to resume production next week. 
Autonomous truck company Gaddick has signed a multi-year deal with grocery giant Kroger. Kroger will use Gaddick's autonomous box trucks to transfer groceries between a distribution center in Dallas to multiple stores in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. The partnership will start in the second quarter. The route is semi-urban and includes highway driving. Gaddix trucks will drive at speeds up to 70 miles per hour. Although the trucks will be operating autonomously, a safety driver will be in the cab ready to take over. Gaddix did not reveal the financial terms of the company's agreement with Kroger. And former National Automobile Dealers Association President Paul Holloway died Tuesday. Holloway bought his first dealership, Holloway Buick Pontiac, in Exeter, New Hampshire in 1967. Before he started selling off stores around 2000, his Holloway Automotive Group grew to 13 locations. He was most recently owner of Holloway Buick GMC Cadillac in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. He was 84 years old. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, What's up with all the news lately about white hat hackers and automakers' so-called bug bounty programs? We'll hear from Kayla Underkoffler of HackerOne, which works with several major automakers to uncover vulnerabilities. That's next on Daily Drive. Across the Hendrick Automotive Group, each store had a different reconditioning process. They started looking for a solution that would help them standardize their processes, give them actionable information, and ultimately drive efficiency. Knowing they needed to bring together all pieces of their operation to cut cycle times down to their goal of three days, they chose ReconTrack. Chris Little, Vice President of Variable Operations, explains why having the tools to measure your recon process gives you what you need to manage it more effectively. Everyone knows speed uh, to the front line uh, equates to more turns, which helps the overall company do better in terms of parts service and inventory bias. And so uh, when you can really take the time to measure and manage that uh, and perfect that, uh, you're going to increase your turns, you're going to increase your gross profit, and you're really just going to increase the amount of used cars you can sell uh, because you're getting them out on the front line. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. Automakers are so worried about vehicle and software security gaps that they're paying hackers to uncover vulnerabilities. These bug bounty programs reward friendly digital invaders, known as white hat hackers, who look for breaches and notify automakers and suppliers of the problems. Although the auto industry pays them considerably less for their efforts than some other sectors do. You might remember us talking recently about how one Florida hacker breached Toyota's global supplier management web portal, gaining read and write access to 14,000 corporate email accounts, associated confidential documents, projects, supplier rankings, and other information. He informed Toyota and the breach was quickly closed. We wanted to better understand what was going on with these hacks, so Jamie caught up with Hacker One lead security technologist Kayla Underkoffler. HackerOne administers Toyota's bug bounty program, as well as other programs with GM, BMW, Ford, and Rivian. Its automotive business jumped 400% from 2021 to 2022 as clients added services to their contracts. Jamie caught up with Underkoffler in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Kayla Underkoffler, welcome to Daily Drive. Hi, thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So glad you could be here. So let's start right off. I mean, do all automakers have bug bounty programs? 
No, not all automakers have bug bounty programs. So what we have in this space is actually two separate types of engagement for the ethical hacking community. We have vulnerability disclosure programs and we have bug bounty programs. So the difference there is really a bug bounty program is incentivizing security research through monetary rewards. A vulnerability disclosure program does not offer rewards in its natural setup, um, but it is the first step to achieving bug bounty interaction. It's allowing a public and open channel for folks to report vulnerabilities. It's a see something, say something channel. So the cool thing is, is while not all automakers have a bug bounty program, there is a wide adoption of vulnerability disclosure programs within the automaking industry. So that's a really fantastic place to start. Why would an automaker not have a bug bounty program? And if they don't, I mean, how should they, how do they go about getting one started? So oftentimes what we see, and it's not just for automakers, it's really for anybody who is starting this journey with the ethical hacking community. It's not often you jump right into operating a bug bounty program because there's a lot of vulnerability management processes that go into being able to receive reports from the ethical hacking community. A lot of individuals start with that vulnerability disclosure channel where it's open, it's there, but there's no incentivization. There's not pushing engagement. That helps the flow of how many vulnerabilities you're going to receive, which then helps your actual security teams, your development teams, then be able to handle those vulnerability reports and get them remediated. Because of course, that's the top concern, getting these things remediated. So while getting into bug bounty takes a little bit more security maturity, it's definitely the goal of most organizations in the space. Um, you, you, you have your VDP that will all in vulnerability disclosure program, your VDP will always stay there. And then as you mature and you get more comfortable with engaging with the ethical hacking community, you up your level, you up your game to offering incentives, which then allows for researchers to who use this as their living to be able to uh, work with your program, find vulnerabilities, and then they get a financial reward at the end of that. In the auto industry, are the automakers the only ones with the scale to justify, you know, being hacked or having a, a defense program? Or I mean, I'm thinking about suppliers or lenders or even some of the large dealer groups. Are are they vulnerable? Everybody should have a vulnerability disclosure program. Everybody in one way, shape, or form, if you have a, a presence of technology and software and anything, you could even say anything external facing, but really, you know, there's gaps everywhere. So everybody should have a channel for vulnerabilities to be reported to them. And so that goes across the board. And one of the things that's so important for automakers is the extreme dependency on supply chain components. You know, because what goes into a vehicle, there's so many components that go into a vehicle today and they are all across the board. So for automakers to be sure that their supply chain vendors have vulnerability disclosure programs and proper security practices, that's only going to become more important over time. What is the impression of the auto industry 
in the ethical hacking community. Uh, I know we, you had a study, the auto industry pays like the least of all the major industries uh, that, you, that you look at. Is the auto industry kind of shunned for that or what's, what's going on there? No, I definitely wouldn't say that they're shunned. I think it's still a really cool attack surface or something that the researchers can really dig their teeth into. I think what's going on in this space for automotive make automakers is that it goes back to the fact that the standard operation today is vulnerability disclosure. So you're going to see lower payouts overall, less volume of payouts, because the programs that are in use aren't meant for monetary reward. But of the programs, the automakers who have vulnerability or sorry, bug bounty programs, their engagement is really solid. And what they're paying is still a solid engagement for, for hackers. So I think the more that we see that shift from the auto industry to picking up bug bounty, the more we're going to see the rewards in a monetary perspective. We're going to see more of that, more volume. And then the more that's being rewarded, the more attractive that space is going to be to maybe security researchers who don't traditionally work with auto makers, with vehicles or with the back end systems that they depend upon. Who does this? Who gets into white hat hacking? Are these side hustles? Are they full-time jobs? What's going on? A lot of members of our community, this, this is a side hustle for them. For the majority of them, it's a side hustle. So these security researchers, they are security practitioners on a daily basis. They're developers. They work just within a, a basic technology job. And then they work on vulnerabilities in as a moonlighting gig, you know, as, as their <laughs> side thing. And the cool thing is that we have such a diverse community of ethical hackers. I mean, it's, it's global. The level of, you know, education, as far as maybe there are some who have uh, very advanced degrees in, in security. And then you have some who've just started out. This is like, you know, something they're doing literally in high school, you know, is getting into security research. It's really there for anybody. And the cool thing is hacking is all about curiosity and pushing the boundaries. And that's really the core characteristic you're looking for in a hacker is someone who who finds something that they might not have been expecting, or maybe they were, <laughs> and then they ask the next question of like, all right, well, what can I do from here? Where can I go from here? What could I find from here? And curiosity is really what drives the hacker. Yeah, it's interesting to me if they already have a, a job, maybe a full-time job, you know, with benefits and all that, if they felt underpaid by the auto industry or whatever, maybe they, they don't have to feel like, okay, well then uh, forget those guys. I'm going to just exploit this uh, vulnerability because they actually have a have a job and it's more like a hobby than you know, somebody who might turn to a life of crime because being a volunteer crime fighter doesn't pay enough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's uh, one of the sentiments we see all across the board from our hacking community is that uh, they are certainly there to earn financial rewards where they can, but the ability to help and do good is also a huge driver that we see all the time coming from our community. So I think that the cool part of working within the auto space is, I mean, you get such a cool attack surface, like you're dealing with cars. <laughs> it's not like, you know, while you might be on your laptop 
working with trying to find vulnerabilities in a vehicle, you're working with a vehicle. You know, it's not the same attack surface as you might have with a traditional high tech company. Right. Or a bank. Or a bank. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me just how does your business operate? Do you get like a retainer or a percentage from the, the companies that who whose vulnerabilities are, you know, discovered and revealed? So we have uh, it's a platform business for us. We so basically there's a platform fee for hosting the program that you operate on the HackerOne platform. So we provide the services that go along with that that really go into building a very specific program. And that's kind of one of the things that we help our customers with is what are your goals in launching this program? What do you want to see from engagement perspective? What assets do you really want to have in scope? So what do you want to have people looking at? We help guide them through that process. And then we help with the in-between of um, the community and the customer. So all of that is super customizable. Whatever the, the customer is looking for as far as how much help they want in that process. And then, yeah, it's, it's really a platform it's more the platform fee than it is. Uh, there's no like fees on top of the bounties that are paid out. Those go to the hackers. Excellent. Kayla Underkoffler, lead security technologist at HackerOne. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jamie. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to our own Lawrence Iliff, Aji LaForest, Con Dingra, and Gail Howe for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on cybersecurity, electrification, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a deeper look at new EV registration data and what it tells us about winners and losers from the Inflation Reduction Act's new tax incentives. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.